Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, September 11th. Coming up, as speculation and anger grow about the possibility of a pardon of former Kansas City cop Eric DeValconeer, we explore the place of pardons in our criminal justice system. It has been a tool. It can be a tool of judicial economy. It can be a tool to achieve justice. But first and foremost, it's a political tool. That's ahead. But first, our weekly look at state government and politics headlines from both sides of the state line. New research estimates Kansas abortion providers saw thousands more patients than usual in the first half of 2023. As Rose Conlon of the Kansas News Service reports, that's likely driven by a surge of patients traveling from states with abortion bans. Kansas saw a 114 percent increase in abortions during the first half of this year compared with 2020. That's according to a new study from the Guttmacher Institute, which supports abortion rights. Zachary Gingrich-Gaylord is with the Trust Women Clinic in Wichita. He says the fall of Roe v. Wade has translated to skyrocketing demand from out-of-state patients. Still getting far more phone calls than we can answer every day. I think right now we're averaging um, over around 5,000 phone calls a He says between 70 and 75 percent of the clinic's patients are now from out of state. The race for Missouri governor has officially expanded. State Senator Bill Eigel of Weldon Spring announced Friday afternoon that he'll jump into the Republican contest. He said earlier this year that his fellow GOP lawmakers were not aggressively following through on the party's priorities. I want to see a world where Ron DeSantis wakes up in the morning and turns on his television and says, man, what about all the good things are going on in Missouri? Eigel joins Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe and Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft in seeking the Republican nomination to replace the term-limited Mike Parson. House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid is running for governor as a Democrat. The primary election is next August. And flags will fly at half-staff today in both Kansas and Missouri in commemoration of the terrorist attacks on the United States 22 years ago today. We'll be right back. In 2021, former Kansas City police officer Eric DeValconeer was convicted of killing Cameron Lamb, an unarmed black man who was sitting in his own pickup in his own driveway. DeValconeer is appealing his conviction, and in an extraordinarily unusual development, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey has joined the case to urge an appeals court to overturn the conviction. Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker is now arguing in court that the conviction should be upheld. There's been community outreach since June when Peters Baker urged Governor Mike Parson not to pardon DeValconeer. And last week on KCUR's Up to Date, Parson said he wasn't even considering it yet. I've never had a conversation about that. Uh, I know there's been a lot of hype and a lot of spin up there. People are claiming that. But the reality is we have not even sat down and had that conversation. I will tell you until the judicial process works out and see what happens, we're never engaged in that. Uh, before all that takes place. So it's been unfortunate. I think a lot of people got spun up by that. Some elected officials up there are kind of claiming that. But the reality of it is I haven't had a conversation about that. But now or later, if DeValconeer's conviction holds up on appeal, the question of a gubernatorial pardon is certain to persist. So we were wondering how exactly pardons work and how this governor has been using them so far. 
I turned to Sean O'Brien. He's a law professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, who was once the chief public defender in Kansas City. He's run legal defense clinics for decades. I asked him where the idea came from that a governor should be able to pardon people convicted of crimes. It comes from the days when, uh, in English law, all law was perceived to flow from the king. You know, the king could do no wrong, and so the king had the power to trump the courts. Uh, and it's been used, uh, you know, generously over the centuries. Uh, it's just part of the English system that stuck with us. It was a good idea to have a failsafe. It doesn't seem very democratic, and the fact that it comes from. Uh English royalty uh, only would emphasize that point. It doesn't seem democratic, but on the other hand, it is a political tool. Uh, and, and governors and presidents have used it politically. Uh, and when a case gets enough attention from the public that there's clearly been a miscarriage of justice, governors have stepped in to do uh, use their powers uh, to correct it. They've used it for a variety of purposes. So it feels like there's a, a tension even in, in what you just said between the idea that it's part of the criminal justice system to ensure a just outcome, but at the same time, it's a political act. It's part of the political process. Uh, a good example of the politics is uh, all governors up through the, the Kit Bond administration used to commute prisoner sentences after they'd done seven months on each year of their sentence. It was a 7 twelfths rule. They just sign a piece of paper and they used it to keep a lid on mass incarceration. Uh, and John Ashcroft, when he became governor, said, oh, no more. <laughs> and no governor has done that on a blanket basis since. You know? So it, it has been a tool. It can be a tool of judicial economy. It can be a tool to achieve justice. But first and foremost, it's a political tool. So you've mentioned there are commutations of sentences. The governor has the power to simply shorten sentences. Yes. Um, the, the more familiar exercise of, of clemency is pardons. Right. What exactly is a pardon? What is the, the force and effect of a governor signing a piece of paper that says this person has been pardoned? It's like an acquittal. You have been found not guilty of this crime or it is wiped clean. Uh, and you know that has a really interesting history in Missouri. Uh, one of the first and most famous pardons was the pardon of Robert Ford, who people will remember as the dirty little coward who shot Mr. Howard in the back and they <laughs> wrote a song about it. And Governor Tom Crittenden pardoned him. In fact, he promised him in a meeting in Platte City that if he – killed Jesse James, he would get a pardon. <laughs> and so he delivered on his promise and lo and behold, he turned out to be a one-term governor. <laughs> so, <laughs> the politics don't always work out. Politics don't always work out, no. So, so the pardon has the effect of an acquittal, meaning the person is not guilty, which is different than I think some people presented as you pardon someone who is guilty as an act of mercy, as an act it, of forgiveness. It can be used in that way. Um, and the uh, both the good and the evil of the governor's pardon power is that he or she can use it for any reason or for no reason. And it can be a good reason or it can be a bad reason. They can just do it for whatever reason uh, they feel appropriate. So how does it work? If I've been convicted of a crime and, and, and you're my lawyer, uh, how do we go about applying for a pardon? What, what has to happen? Well, you would have to file an application for pardon to the governor. 
and the governor will refer that to the Missouri Board of Probation and Parole. Missouri law is a little different. I've done pardon proceedings in uh, Arizona, Wyoming, Nebraska. Missouri's is way different from the others in that it's secret. Um, it is confidential. You do not have an evidentiary hearing. Uh, there may be an inquiry by uh, the Missouri Board of Probation and Parole. The governor is required by statute to refer pardon requests there. They meet. They discuss it. They might do some investigation, and then they make a recommendation to the governor, and then the governor can accept their recommendation or ignore it. He can keep it a secret. Uh, sometimes if the governor acts on their recommendation to grant a pardon, they'll, they'll use that pardon as kind of political cover. You know, the parole board recommended, and I'm, so I'm acting on that recommendation. So you mentioned that different governors apply these powers differently. And I want to talk about how Governor Mike Parson has used the pardon process. I I think sometimes we think of a governor sort of issuing a handful of pardons on their way out of office. That is not how this governor has done it. Every month, those of us in the media get a, a press release with the list of many people who have been pardoned. This governor uh, just this year has issued 151 pardons, a total of 585 during his time in office. How typical is that? That's unusual. That's unusual. Uh, typically, a governor will wait till that lame duck period, you know, the last after the election, uh, when they've reached their term limit, they're not coming back. That's when we'll see some pardons. Even Eric Greitens on the last his last day in office, uh, you know, did issued some pardons and issued some sentence commutations. One thing we should probably note is that Governor Mike Parson has said he inherited uh, a stack of 3,700 petitions for executive clemency. So he he has said he's really just working through this backlog. Right. Um, And I have no doubt that that's true. Um, People file these pardon applications. And the, the other part of the pardon process is there are no rules. You know, you, the governor can refer it to the parole board. The statute says he should, uh, but he doesn't always. Um, he can deny it without doing that. Uh, and, and so it's whatever the governor wants to do, really. Well, one of the most famous pardons that this governor has made was that of Mark McCloskey, the St. Louis lawyer who famously stood in front of his house waving a gun at Black Lives Matter protesters. That pardon certainly seemed to be in that political category, especially uh, when McCloskey went on to run for the U.S. Senate. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and it's, uh, you know, uh, well, one of the provisions in Missouri that doesn't exist everywhere Um, is that you have to wait for the conviction and then you issue the pardon. Um, On the federal level, uh, pardons can be issued before the conviction, but that is a good example of the governor doing it because it seemed like a you know politically a good idea. He might have thought it was the right thing to do in his own uh, set of values. A lot of people disagree with that, but you know, in talking with different governors' offices about the use of their pardon powers, the general perception has been that issuing a pardon or a commutation of sentence is an expenditure of political capital. In this law and order uh, mentality that dominates politics today, uh, they're very sensitive to the fact that if I pardon a criminal, then uh, I will pay for that in the polls. 
Well, the subject of when exactly a pardon can be issued has been very much in the news uh, around the case of former Kansas City police officer Eric DeValconeer, who was convicted back in 2021 of killing Cameron Lamb, an unarmed black man who was sitting in his pickup in his driveway. That case is under appeal. Governor Parson says that he has not yet considered a pardon of DeValconeer, even though there have been reports from uh, unnamed sources that say, that say he is considering it. At the same time, is this the kind of case where a governor might issue a pardon? You're an expert on criminal defense. Uh, based on what you know, how strong would the argument be for a pardon of Eric de Valconeer? Um That's on multiple levels. You know, politically, I think it's a dangerous move uh, given, you know, the feelings in urban areas of Kansas City between communities and police. And, you know, uh, police, nonviolent policing is a big issue, uh, especially in urban areas. Um, A small town sheriff might see uh, that issue much differently. But typically, because the use of the pardon power is perceived to be an expenditure of political capital. Capital. The the governor will typically wait for the judicial process to play out, and let the courts make the decision before the governor acts. You think it's a good thing that we have a pardon process in, as part of our criminal justice system? I think it is. I think it is, especially in this day and age with so, or in this day and age with so many issue preclusion doctrines in the courts. What does that mean? What that means is once upon a time, people used to think there's never a wrong without a remedy. Uh, That is no longer true. And just within the last term, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a decision called Shin versus Ramirez that closes the door on a lot of habeas corpus petitioners. And so uh, time deadlines, procedural defaults became the order of the day. And that's where we are now. And so governors are where they were in the 19th century facing cases in which courts have got it wrong or courts didn't even look at the case. Um, and that's um, uh, and so we're seeing nationally that governors are becoming more active um, and they want to look at issues in cases where the courts refuse to look at this issue because of a procedural technicality. That was UMKC law professor Sean O'Brien. He teaches about criminal law, criminal procedure, and wrongful convictions. This is Kansas City Today. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more state government news from Kansas City's NPR station and all the other news, too, visit KCUR.org. If you like our show and want to help us out, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening.